You're listening to episode number 19 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. This is the distilled version of the podcast. Don't know what I mean? Stay tuned. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now your host, Jason Lavoy. Hey there, everybody. Thank you for joining me on yet another edition of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. Today we got an episode with Kyle Ingham. He is known as the Distilled Man. Kyle is the founder and editor of the Distilled Man, an online channel that helps everyday guys become well-rounded gentlemen. Kyle is a husband, a new father, a blogger, a podcaster, and a recovering advertising executive. For the past seven years, he's been helping men learn the essential skills and knowledge they need to become better, more confident men. Kyle enjoys bourbon, burritos, and the occasional pirate joke. He lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with his wife and son, and it's a great episode. And uh, ladies, this is kind of like being a little bit of a fly on the wall for you because you get a little bit insight into how us men really think because we just kind of talk open and honest and any information is good information when it comes to communication between men and women right so let's get right to it let me proudly introduce to you kyle ingham kyle ingham welcome to the divorce resource guy podcast how are you i'm great jason thanks so much for having me i've been looking forward to this for a long time it is the distilled man himself ah well i mean i don't consider myself the distilled man but yeah i mean Oh, modest too. <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy captaining the ship, or trying so, to at least. So let's start this off by what is the definition of a distilled man? Oh, wow. That's, that's, a, that's a tough question to start with. Did I throw you I off mean, already? I mean, I think what I try to do with the distilled man is give guys a second chance to sort of uh, rediscover the, what I call the gentlemanly arts and, and ultimately become the best version of themselves. So... Um, you know, one of the things I say on the site is it's, it's actionable advice for the everyday gentleman. Um, and, that's, and that's an interesting point, too. When you bring up the gentleman, and I'll get on my soapbox for just a second here, yeah, is go. a lot of people have these weird associations with the word gentleman, where especially now, um, there's all these suit and made-to-measure companies coming out of the woodwork, which I would say for the most part is positive. But there's also, you know, that and with social media, there's this whole little sub-segment of the internet that where I think some of these younger gentlemen think that, gentlemen, younger guys think that the word gentleman is just all about the superficial aspect of, of looking like a gentleman. And that's where um, I think sometimes guys get tripped up a little bit. It's like, it's all about their Instagram. It's all about having a, an expensive suit or driving a fancy car, or having a fancy watch. And, you know, while I think there's definitely a huge aspect of, there's a huge aspect of being a gentleman that's about putting your best foot forward and putting your best self forward and caring about how you're putting yourself out in the world and, you know, being your best. It's not to me about those superficial things. So for me, you know, becoming a distilled man or a gentleman or whatever it is, is really about, it's about that journey of trying to become your best self. And, um, and that's the other thing I'll say too, is that, you know, there's a lot of self-development uh, stuff out there that talks about your being your best self. And I think some people think that mistakenly that it's a destination. And what I've come to realize over the course of six or seven years that I've been doing this is that 
it's really, like I said, it's all about that journey. And it's about when a, when a man becomes, is, when a man is, is, is working on becoming his best self, it really is about that momentum that he's creating. So the ultimate reward, if there is a reward, isn't something that is like it happens at the end. It's something that you're experiencing while you're, while you're in the fight, so to speak. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I mean, and I'm glad you kind of talk about that in the sense and framing it, you know, as the journey, because it is a journey, right? Life is a journey. But in your, in your mind, what is that, like, what does that arc look like? Where would, you know, if we're talking about, let's say that, you know, the, this distilled man, which is this, I don't know, what do you want to call it? This idea that we want to live up to, so to speak, you know, where does that journey begin? And then what is the idea? What is the goal? Like, where do you want to be at the end and look back and say, yeah, you know what? I'm proud of the way I did that. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because I actually had a, a subscriber reach out to me not too long ago. I think he's from like Sweden or Finland and immediately asks me, he's like, hey, I love your stuff. What do you think the meaning of life is? Another <laughs> like huge, even bigger question than you started with. And I was like, wow, okay. Um, huge question. But I think if I had to answer in, you know, the course of a hundred character or hundred words in, in an email, this is what I will say to you. Um, you know, I'm not particularly religious. So I think the meaning of life for me, um, and as it relates to what you're saying, destination, what you want to achieve is, is what you were getting at is it's looking back literally on your deathbed and saying, I put it all out there. I was my best self. I tried my hardest. I, I put my best foot forward. And I think the other component of this, and I think I failed to mention it when I was talking a little bit about, you know, what I think a gentleman is, um, it, it's that being great to other people. It's, it's being mindful of the people around you and, and nurturing those connections, even with people who you may never see again. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that's, that's noble. And so how did you, how did you even get here? I mean, yeah, who are no, you? Who? <laughs> Oh my God, you know what? Who am I? What am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this man? Wait a second. <laughs> and where are my pants? Right? <laughs> no. This um, is the deepest podcast you've ever been a part of. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, you know, my story goes back a ways. Um, I, the, the initial idea for the distillment actually started, I would say, around 2008, 2009. And I ha- worked in advertising at the time. I worked in advertising for a number of years in ad agencies. and it's funny, it really all of a sudden was like this, this thing that awoke, woke up in me one day. It was like, I think it was like a Wednesday. Um, you know, ad agency life, for those who don't know, is, is really very adrenaline driven. It's very busy. You don't have much time to just like sit around. You're always working. You're always going, going, going. But it was like all of a sudden on a Wednesday, middle of the week, I just hit a wall. I was, I was so thrown off my game. I wasn't my usual like coffee slurping, adrenaline, you know, adrenaline fueled uh, uh, work rhythm. Um, all I could think about all of a sudden was grilling. It was the weirdest thing. So it was like, and the best way to describe it, like when I look back at it, on it now, it's like my biological grilling clock went off. <laughs> and it's like, all I could think about was like grilling animal flesh over a flame. And it was One interesting because ribs. <laughs> right, exactly. And it was like, I was obsessed, obsessed all of a sudden. It couldn't get any work done. And this, I mean, went on for like a day or two. And so what happened was I, you know, I realized, you know, okay, I was in my early thirties at the time and, you know, all guys 
experiment with barbecuing and grilling. And, and it's one of those things where on the surface, we all pretend to know what we're doing because it's sort of like something every guy is expected to know. Um, but the reality is that a lot of guys actually suck at it. And I realized that maybe I could fake it, but I was not a master at it. How hard could it be, right? Right. How hard could it be, right? You've got flame and you've got meat and you just, you know, make it black. Put meat on grill. Put meat on grill. (laughs) But but it turns out there is more to it. And I think that's what suddenly awoken me is realizing on one hand, I was thinking, okay, why am I not good at grilling? Because I'm a guy. I mean, that's something that don't all guys just know how to grill because we've got the X and Y chromosomes, you know? Um, And so I dove into it. I started learning how to grill and, you know, learned from friends, bought books, even talked to some chefs that I knew. And it was, and it was kind of on this journey of learn, of really learning how to grill, in, like create mastery in some way, right? And as I was going through that and also, you know, struggling with the fact that, well, why, don't, why, why can't I do this? Because I'm a man, right? I started to realize that there was all these other things that, that society expects us to know just because we're men, like things like how to make a cocktail, how to tie a tie, um, you know, how to change a tire or something like that. And, and I was realizing that unless the fact is like, unless you, you learn this stuff from your big brother or your dad growing up, you're kind of SOL. Um, so there's all these things that it's like, you don't actually learn it, learn in school. You know, you spend so many, so much of your time, your formative years learning things out of books. And then you get into out, out of the real world and you realize that you're not equipped to be sort of a a, a, an everyday man as it were so that was when the light bulb went off in my head thinking that you know I'm not a master in these things in fact the opposite there are things that I want to learn and things I want to devote time to to becoming uh, developing mastery in and I think that if there's there's probably other guys out there like me who would want to know this stuff as well and so that's that's really it took about a year or two of sort of marinating on this idea but in 2011 was, was finally when I, when I launched the distilled man and, and really started. And, and this is what you do full time now. Uh, almost full time. I do a little bit of consulting marketing consulting on the side, um, about 10 hours a week just to, uh, get out of the house and, and, uh, make a little extra money. Gotcha. Um, so let's talk about some things that, you know, you, you brought up a lot, you know, uh, a, a good few items there that, you know, you felt, why don't I know how to do this? You know, I'm a man and you know, grilling is one of them. I'm still learning how to grill myself. You can give me some yeah. tips later. And, um, and you know, like what comes to mind for me is like fixing a, a leaking toilet. I mean, <laughs> like, right. you know, like I remember that when that first happened to me, it's like, you know, well, do I call a plumber or am I supposed to do this myself? And I just spent a lot of time on YouTube and then realized, no, I can't do that myself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think that's, that's a, you bring up a great point that um, that's part of it. Part of the journey is figuring out um, what, you know, what it makes sense for you to do yourself and learn how to do versus what you would actually call in a professional for. Um, and plumbing is definitely one of those things. <laughs> plumbing and electricity. That's my plumbing and electricity. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I can hang a TV on the wall. That's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, but it's funny too, because you bring up these, you know, the skills that I mentioned. Um, When I started the Distilled Man, it really was more about, you know, these sort of like tactical, um, tangible things. And it really, over the course of the years, has morphed a little bit more into um, some of the softer skills that guys need to know. Because in some ways, I feel like, um, in many ways, they're more important almost, like uh, particularly, you know, social skills. 
Yeah, so let's talk about that. Let, let, let's, let's talk about some so, uh, social skills that you think men should know and, and you know, maybe don't. Well, I think, you know, just stepping back, it's such a huge topic. Social skills are, if you don't work on your ability to connect with other people, it's, and I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of guys are, are learn this when they get out of college, when they get out of maybe high school, possibly, uh, but they get that, get out in the real world and they realize that the, so much of their success actually doesn't necessarily depend on technical knowledge. Like they might have a ton of experience in whatever field, maybe they're an engineer or something like that. But realizing that as soon as you actually go out in the real world and have to interface with other people, social skills are a huge, huge component of that. So being able to work with uh, team members, being able to uh, being able to work with a team, uh, communicate your ideas articulately. Um, but even more importantly, and I think this is where guys really feel the pain is being able to build rapport with your coworkers and also create relationships outside of work too. Um, and, and obviously that's a whole industry in itself of like, you know, dating and, 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 you know, being able to talk to women. Um, but again, I think that that idea of being able to relate to other people, connect with them, have a conversation and, and not be in your head all the time, not be uncomfortable, not feel like it's a chore or not feel like you have to avoid situations like that. Because I'm sure you've talked to other guys who, who say, oh my God, I hate, it's so uncomfortable when I have to talk to someone I don't know, or I hate small talk, or I hate um, yeah, sure. know, networking events, or hey, putting myself out there. That's the kind of thing that I think um, that, you know, where you, where you can consciously work on your ability to connect with other folks, then it makes those things so much better. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it, I think it also kind of goes into how, how people act interpersonally, um, you know, in their personal romantic relationships and in, in marriages too. So, you know, like I'm, I'm a, I'm an attorney, right. And I do divorce coaching. So most of my interaction is with people, both men and women who, you know, are in some way, form or fashion involved in the divorce process. And, you know, I kind of, I always go back to like, well, how did we get, how did we get here? Right. You know, how did the marriage break down? And is it, does it go f as far back as, you know, like you said, learning the, the, the social skills and, you know, just the way to handle conflict and, yeah. you know, like, I, I think it goes back. How to be assertive, way. how to be assertive, like communicate what you really need without sounding like a jerk. Right. Like how to, how to have an argument like an adult, right? That's what I would call it. But, yeah. um, and, and these, these skills that, you know, maybe people take for granted or sometimes I think, you know, especially, and I hate to sound like the old guy in the crowd, <laughs> but you know, like the, I'm going to say the younger kids, you know, the younger generation, I feel like they, they are just like devoid of having a lot of these like social interaction skills. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's something not to, not to rail on technology too much. Um, no, it's rail. funny, <laughs> rail away, sir. Uh, I, it's funny. I just interviewed a gentleman, uh, David Coggins, um, who wrote a book called men and manners, uh, which is a really, really good read. Um, and so much of what we talked about in our interview, um, and in his book that he talks about is really about how, I mean, technology has made it so much harder for people to, to kind of do the right thing with around each other. 
that, um, I mean, for one thing, you know, if, I think I mentioned, uh, you know, networking events or something like that. Social events where you don't know anyone, technology gives you that excuse to kind of hide behind your phone sometimes. Like you're the guy in the corner who's checking his updates, um, reading his email. And really, you should be out there and your phone should be nowhere near near you, right? Right. Like you're that busy, right? <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, are you really going to save the world if you like answer an email right now? But no, you've got, what, two hours to actually meet people that you've never met before. Um, you know, just focus on on the real world for half a second. And, and that was another thing that we talked about too, is just, um, you know, going back to that sort of romantic angle as well that, and maybe for guys who, you know, for your listeners who are maybe getting back out there after a divorce um, and getting, putting their toe back in the dating pool. It's like, there's so much, there's so many better interactions offline, off, off screen, as it were, um, where you're not mediated by um, a technology device. Um, You know, even if you are doing online dating um, and I'll say my disclaimers, I've never done online dating, but I, the best advice I ever heard was, from someone who had a lot of experience with it is get offline as soon as possible because you spend so much time maybe building up a relationship with someone through a platform in the form of texts or messages or whatever it is. And then you go to actually meet them and maybe you don't actually have any chemistry with them. And ultimately your relationship is going to exist in the real world, not through a screen. So why not get there as soon as possible and find out if it's actually a real thing. No, exactly. That's a great point. And I have two examples. I, I do have experience online dating. Ironically, though, I didn't meet my, I didn't meet my wife online. Um, but your current girlfriend you met through. Right, right. <laughs> she doesn't, your wife doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, now she does. No, <laughs> she doesn't listen to the show anyway, so she won't know. <laughs> um, I always do that. I throw in little like tidbits in my shows to, and then I, I wait and see if that ever comes up because that's how I know she's listening or not. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my brother, my younger brother, and, and I won't use his name, <laughs> but he, he's been on like a serial online data for, I don't know, like 10 plus years. And um, I feel like it's almost like an addiction. And he tells me now that he meets women, you know, on online, whatever site it is. And he'll actually, arrange and go out to meet them offline somewhere, but without having even spoken one word on the phone to them. And that just boggles the mind, my mind, you know, is that you're actually making real, real world plans, but you haven't even spoken one word to this person to see, you know, if you even like their voice or, you know, that you get along and, and it's just a few, it's all text, it's all texting and instant messaging now. But I sort of I sort of like that because it sounds like he is doing what I'm talking about, where he's not spending a lot of time on the platform, right? He's he's just using it almost like um, his own personal speed dating app, right? I guess, but uh, they have like extensive conversations back and forth before they go offline. You know? Oh, they do. I misunderstood. I thought you were saying that he just meets, you know, without sort of vetting them in the channel, he actually just goes out and meets them. I gotcha. So he does actually have a fair amount of uh, back and forth. Uh, within the dating app before he meets these people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But he doesn't, he doesn't, I used to like, you know, at least, okay, what's your number? I'll call you and let's talk like real people. And then if we like each other, we'll make offline plans, you know? Yeah, that is, you know, it's funny. Like I feel like phone conversations are a lost art and it's, it's funny. I mean, it really is a generational thing that um, I mean, I hate to, I'm not using the word millennials in a bad 
you know, a bad context, but now you could be the old man. <laughs> exactly. Get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's funny. It, 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 that is such a, a, um, a, a harsh contrast, I think, between, you know, millennials and Gen Xers is the, you know, that as Gen Xers, we grew up with phone conversations and that was very common. You know, it's like when I was a kid, I would call my friends and there's a whole generation of people who never grew up actually calling folks on the phone that, um, and I can sort of understand why, you know, they have an aversion to it because when you're on the phone, I mean, you do have to, you're on the spot. You have to think a, a little bit differently. You have to think more quickly. You have to think on your feet. Um, you, you can't just, you know, step away from the phone for five seconds and, uh, co- you know, contemplate your response because then your friend's like, hey, dude, where did you go? Right. Um, whereas you could do that on text. You can go 10 minutes, an hour, two hours, five hours, whatever, and then respond. And you've got the perfectly written response. So there's almost no risk. Um, you, you're not risking, you're not putting yourself out there as much as when you are on a phone call where everything's in real time. That's it. But it's almost, it's not real. You know, at least to me, it's, it's not, it's just not real because that's not how we talk in real life when we yeah. have real relationships. I mean, you know, um, or maybe some people do, but <laughs> yeah, unless you're planning on just having a long distance relationship where all you do is text and never see each other. Yeah. Or you're sitting on the couch next to each other and you're texting each other. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I actually heard about uh, a couple doing that. Actually, I think it was from the gentleman I interviewed, uh, David Coggins. He was talking about seeing a couple texting each other at a, at a restaurant. Yeah. Um, How many times have you been, uh, I mean, I have a young daughter, uh, so we, we don't go out, (laughs) but, but but when I used to go out and, uh, to restaurants, I would see like the, you know, the younger generation of kids, you know, on dates, you could definitely, they're clearly on dates. Um, and they're, they're on their phones. Yeah. Like sitting right across from each other. Yeah. You know what I love? It's funny because I actually, um, a gentleman just reached out to me on Facebook, I think just asking about, he was an older gentleman who was talking about how a lot of restaurants these days in general were becoming less comfortable and less comfortable environments essentially because of the noise and because of like um, just the ambiance wasn't as welcoming. And I brought up to him how I've actually been encouraged to see um, a lot of restaurants sort of cracking down on trying to make uh, environments a little more human. So like, regarding the cell phone thing i mean there are a few restaurants out there that um there's one in near my uh my town that um has signs on like all four walls of the dining room that said no cell phones please which is really cool i like the other other thing i've seen too um not nearby but i've seen some restaurants in other cities where they have a little uh folder or i don't know what you would call it i guess kind of like a little place where you place your cell phones at the end of the table so uh, and they don't really force it down your throat, but I think the expectation is that if a family is having a meal together that you say, okay, everybody, cell phones in the pocket. It's, so it's like almost like a little, it looks like something where you would put like a couple file folders or something like that, a little pocket on the, on the wall, a little shelf sort of. So you would just throw your cell phones in there and then you are forced to actually communicate with the people you're, you're dining with for, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour. Say it ain't so. I know, right? I think it is funny though. You, you don't realize how, you know, even if you are sort of anti-technology like me, how often you still have that urge to like look at your phone um, when, it's not, when it's not near you. And you, that's when you realize how much you, you actually grab for it. That's how conditioned we are. Um, yeah. And, it, and I don't like it personally. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely pro-technology, but I think 
with the phones, it's, it's out of hand. I think restaurants should have like a, a cell phone check, like a coat check. So yeah. when you walk in, you, you, you hand your phone in and you eat because that's why you're there and you talk. And then when you leave, you grab your phone and, you know, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I, it's, I would imagine that some restaurants are just afraid to try to force that on guests, right? Although I would think that if they did, there'd probably be a lot of people who would come to that restaurant specifically because they do that. It would be interesting to see, right? I wonder. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm going to open up my own uh, restaurant now. Yeah. <laughs> the, food, the food is terrible, but there's no cell phones anywhere. So it's great. <laughs> That's right. Well, this, this podcast has gone way sideways, <laughs> but hopefully at least it's entertaining. <laughs> Let's get back to the ribs and barbecuing. No. <laughs> no, like seriously. So like getting back to the idea of like, you know, men and, and learning social skills. And I think this is, you know, this will be good for the women listeners too, is, you know, to kind of learn about what we think are, you know, some of the ideals and, and things that make up a, you know, a distilled man, if you want to call it that. Um, so in a marriage, I have two ideas. Let's talk about like, you know, the marriage phase, and then we'll talk about after divorce and, and some tips you may have for, for men after divorce, but like during the marriage, do you have any tips or anything that, you know, maybe people could follow or, or look for to, to be the, make it the best that it could be? Yeah, that's, and that's another huge, huge one to tackle, but I'll, I'll do my best. Um, and I, I've been married now, um, for, uh, five years. Um, so I feel like I'm just, just now learning how to do it correctly. Um, you haven't even been teaching yet. Right. You know, exactly. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm beyond my, I'm beyond my freshman year. I'm definitely into the sophomore, sophomore year at this point or whatever, you know? <laughs> um, but I feel like it, it sounds so trite, but I feel like communication is, is key. Um, and I think what I've seen from talking to guys who, who are on the other side of, of divorce or getting out of relationships, um, and from uh, my own personal experience, I feel like that the greatest tensions happen when we're not being honest about what we need um, in the relationship. And, and it's funny because that's often the root cause, but it, it, you know, the symptoms of that show up in many different ways. Um, so maybe, maybe it's infidelity or maybe it's um, just uh, excessive, crazy, over-the-top arguments that didn't need to be you know, it's like, um, it actually brings to mind a, um, a great book. You may have heard of it called uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy by Robert Glover. Um, and he talks about um, this, he talks about these guys called nice guys in air quotes. And it's guys who sort of suppress what they really need. Um, and they make these things that, and again, he sort of coined this term, but it's called covert contracts. And a covert contract, according to Robert Glover, is, when you sort of make an agreement in your head with another person, but you're like your wife, but she doesn't know that you've made this agreement. And so like a, a great example might be that you're always doing stuff for her and you're not just doing it because you love her, um, which maybe you do or don't. Um, you're doing it because you expect something in return or you specifically, you might expect the exact same thing to be done for you. You know, like uh, just going out of your way to do things, these kind things. Um, so that's not an issue. It's, it's the fact that they've made this bargain in their head and 
because they, they haven't been clear about their needs, like that, hey, listen, I need you to do this for me sometimes, um, that's when things kind of fall apart because what happens is uh, they haven't been honest about this covert contract they made and they're not communicating it. And of course, ultimately their needs aren't getting met because they haven't made them clear. And then so they start to, those needs start to come out in unhealthy ways. And I mean, I'm sure you've covered this you know, in, in your podcast before too, or just like all of a sudden there's an explosion type argument that it's not about the mayonnaise jar. It's about something much bigger, right? It's not about right. whatever, whatever the straw was that broke the camel's back. It's not about that. It's about the fact that there's all this stuff that has been under the surface that, um, that wasn't getting out, you know? So I guess, you know, long story short, I feel like getting, if guys can learn and, and, and women too, learn how to be honest with yourself about what, what you need and learn how to communicate those things in, uh, first of all, before it becomes a, a crisis and second of all, in a healthy way. Um, and that's the nice thing is that if you can work on kind of getting ahead of this stuff, I feel like you, it's easier to communicate things in a healthy way. Like for instance, if maybe in your marriage, like you feel like, you know, you're having intimacy issues or you're, you're not in sync in that respect. It's like being able to communicate that before you're bitter about it is going to have a much better outcome than waiting until you're so sick of it that you just storm out of a restaurant one day and make a huge scene. Yeah, don't let it fester. Don't, don't let it fester. See, that, that's a much shorter way to say what I was trying to say. <laughs> you should have just started with me from the beginning. <laughs> I should have just said, you know what? You tell me. No. <laughs> I'll just you know what myself. I mean. You know what I mean. I think that that's such, and I, I, I would encourage guys to think about that because I know that when I started saying communication is the key, I, I know it sounds trite, but it's such, it's one of those things that's like, it, I love that phrase of it's um, simple, but not easy, right? Yes. It's, it's, it's so fundamental that we don't actually spend a lot of time on it but it's so fundamental that it's kind of the most important thing. Exactly. And, you know, I tell you, because I, I talk about this so often, um, I almost feel like it, you know, people are sick of hearing it, but it's, it just, it is what it is. It, it's like you said, it, it comes down to communication. And, and I, I feel like that's all I say is that, you know, it's communication, communication, communication. And, and I, other people are saying it too. So it's not just me, but it, it's either overlooked or, you know, it's definitely, I think, easier said than done. Um, and, but there are skills there that people can work on and, you know, to make the communication as, you know, healthy and effective as, as possible. And like you said, you know, don't, you know, conflict is, is not bad in and of itself, right? It's, it's just how you deal with that conflict. So, yeah. um, and then how you deal with that and come out on the other end is how we all grow. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it really isn't easy. And I think that is why so many people have a trouble with it because it's having that confrontation where you have to, maybe you have to express that you're not happy with what's going on in the relationship. And that's scary. Um, but let, let's break it down for a second. This just came to my mind. And I think it's, this might be really good because and this is a manly episode, right? So we're men. And <laughs> manly and gentlemanly. Gentlemanly, yes. But talking about like from a man's point of view or a husband's point of view, 
maybe better put. Why, why is it that, you know, maybe those skills regarding communication or, you know, expressing, I don't, I don't know what it is, but something I think that's more inherent in men than women, as far as the ability to, to effectively communicate, you know, what we're feeling, you know, so it, so it can be dealt with in a, in a prompt and healthy manner. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Cause I think, I, I mean, I don't want to say that it, it's, it's more men than women necessarily, but I think from the men's perspective, I think we can definitely tackle this. I think one of the issues is, um, well, for both men and women, I, I think I want to just step back for a second and, and mention our buddy, Dr. Robert Glover again, in his book, cause, um, he had some insight on this as well. Um, one of the things he talks about is, and, and this is such dime store psychology, again, people may dismiss it. It's, we learn so much about relationships and communication from the way that we were raised. Right. So that's a huge thing that, that um, it's funny because, you know, you grow up, um, you're doing well, you, you have a great job, whatever. Um, no matter how well your life is going, you do have to acknowledge that there is some influence tugging at you, whether you realize it or not, from uh, from your childhood. And I don't want to get into like your inner child and stuff like that, but it's, it's very true that there's patterns that you may have developed in terms of how you relate to people, how you communicate, um, you know, where you see right and wrong, that sort of thing that developed, that developed inside you from a very young age, just from watching your parents or your family. So I think that's, that's something that can't be ignored and that people have to look at not that they need to go through years of therapy to do it, but it's like recognizing, hey, listen, you know, my parents had a nasty divorce when I was a kid. Me witnessing that, I learned some things or developed some habits that maybe weren't the best. Um, so I think that's one element. I think the other element, and this is more to your question about why guys may, you know, what the unique situation is for guys. I think one thing is, and uh, and this is a particularly fond topic of mine, is is male friendship um, is that a lot of guys don't have that friendship outlet that women have outside of the marriage. So they don't necessarily have that release valve that, that the woman has. Um, so, and there's some, go what ahead. Do you by that? Just go well, I think so. And there's some statistics here that I'm going to get wrong because I don't have them in front of me, but there was, there's been several studies done. And I think there's some recent studies too, where, if you look at the amount of close friends that men have versus women, I mean, men only have on average, you know, uh, something like 2.3 close friends, um, you know, versus women who have many more. And there's that disparity. But the other interesting thing about the same study that was done is that men said that they still had the same desire to have close relationships as women do. So there's this kind of imbalance happening where guys are, are, for whatever reason, not making and keeping these close friendships. And even though they desire to have that outlet of being able to talk to their buddy about like real issues, um, they don't often have it. So that's my theory in terms of another problem is that when, you know, obviously your relationship with your partner and your marriage is like such a big part of your life. But if you don't have that release valve outside of your marriage um, in the form of a close confidant, in the cl- form of a buddy who you can really talk to. So not just somebody you're going to drink beers with and, and play poker with or, or 
watch football with, which there's nothing wrong with those things, but you have to have those guys who you also feel like, you know, they'll give you a hug when you, when you get dumped or they'll, they'll listen to you when you actually have something on your mind. And I think a lot of guys just don't have that in place. And, you know, it's, 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 I think it's tough as we get older because it's, it's harder and harder to actually um, cultivate and keep those relationships. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It is. And I think just naturally as we all get older and if you start families and, and things like that, it, it's so much harder. I can talk personally that, you know, the friendships that I have, the close friendships, it's just, it's just so hard to consistently, you know, at least if you're in close proximity to each other, even, you know, physically see each other. Um, I just went out with my buddy, uh, one of my buddies to go back from to high school with, and, you know, I hadn't seen him. He lives maybe 30 miles from me. I hadn't seen him maybe at, probably at least six months and we both have um, young kids and, you know, everybody's busy it's, and it's just time flies and it's so hard. And um, so I can, I can appreciate that. Um, but it's interesting that there's a disparity there between the way men kind of socialize um, and what they consider close relationships versus, you know, women. Yeah. And it's funny and not to go too down, too far down this rabbit hole, but um I, I wrote an article about this because I was so I wanted to research this and, and, and write about it. Um, and before I did that, I actually reached out to my audience just to kind of like poll some people and um, get the temperature, find out some, you know, do a little bit of research. And it was amazing the insights that I got back just from my readership um, about um, this whole male friendship thing of like making and keeping guy friends is that um, it's interesting because you bring up, you know, you had you had drinks with your buddy who you from high school. And that, that is the situation that we find ourselves in is like, as you get older, it's harder to make new friends. Um, and so a lot of our close friends end up being people from other parts of our lives or other, you know, eras of our lives. Like we, like you and I have been out of high school a while and yeah. um, we, you know, we're the same age and um, it, you know, I'm sure you and your buddy, it sounds like you're still, you know, tight and, and have things to talk about, but it's funny how, a lot of guys end up being, you know, 42, 43, and they, they've got some close friends from high school or elementary school or whatever it is from their hometown, but they're not necessarily, maybe they all haven't grown in the same ways. Maybe they're not, maybe right. they're not necessarily the friends that they would choose now. Not that I'm advocating for like breaking up with all your friends uh, who don't serve you anymore. I mean, I don't think you need to actively do that, but I think the point is that the, the crisis is, I think, is that guys, as we get older, we, we kind of suck at making new friends and putting ourselves out there. And um, yeah, it's hard. Sort of, right. Yeah. But, but right. But I, I do agree with you. And this is based in absolutely no science whatsoever, but <laughs> <It's> <laughs> the best <laughs> disclaimer, <laughs> but I feel like women, whether it's at work or, you know, through, you know, random parties or, or functions that you go to, like, I just feel like women form bonds easier than men do. And not to say men don't do it, but I just think it, it happens. I don't know, just easier. Well, yeah. Do you know, it's funny. I meant to, um, as I was going off on my tangent a moment ago, I meant, I meant to, there were a couple of insights from when I did pull my readership that I wanted to bring up that I forgot to bring up. Um, that might be particularly helpful is 
to that point, um, a couple of the common themes that emerged when I reached out to my audience were one is that a lot of guys feel, um, they feel uncomfortable. One, they feel uh, uncomfortable approaching other guys to create friendships because, um, and I thought this is a really interesting point that I hadn't heard, of, heard of, hadn't thought of, is that from the time that we're, you know, 10, 12, time we get into puberty, we're sort of trained on the, the art of the approach of talking to women, or maybe that's a little strong, but we understand the rules of engagement, right? Of approaching a girl, asking her out, Right. Even if many of us, myself included, are not good at it necessarily, but you know what the deal is, right? There's sort of been established, even the, the woman understands, oh, this guy's going to come over to me. He's going to try to talk, chat me up. Right. Um, so what came out of this when I reached out to my readership is some of the guys said, listen, from the time we're young, we, we learn how to do that, but we've never been really trained on how to approach a guy to make a friend, which I was like, that is so true right? We don't, that rule of engage, those rules of engagement are a little bit less clear. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where some guy comes and chats you up, you know, a lot of times you do feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and you may even feel even more uncomfortable being the person who's doing it. So like getting out there and, Hey, I'm going to go try to chat this guy up and, but he's going to think I'm hitting on him and I'm not hitting on him. We're both straight. <laughs> like, or he's going to think I'm going to try to ask him for money or something, you know, Right, he's or like a creep or something like that. Yeah, it's like you're in a bar, like you don't go up to a dude and, hey, man, you know, a lot of guys aren't comfortable with that. So that's um, that's one part that that emerged from this research I did. And the other interesting part is that a lot of guys have the other reason a lot of guys don't aren't comfortable sort of approaching other men um, in a friendship context is they have they have this sort of baggage in their head that they're not manly enough. Like a lot of, so many people said this, um, who reached out to me, they said, um, I just don't feel like I'm into traditional manly things like football and weightlifting and I'm not that good. I'm not in shape or whatever, basically saying I'm not like a manly man. And so therefore I feel like other men will reject me. Right. And it's interesting because it's to me that that I I can understand how they might fear that. But if you step back, I feel like it doesn't make any sense because if you think, if you think that the guy is going to um, worry about if it's really like a, you know, a, a, a measuring contest of like, who's more manly, if that's really what's important, wouldn't the guy who, wouldn't he actually be happier if you're not that manly? Like, wouldn't he actually be more happy to see you if he's more dominant to you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that would make, that would make sense. Um, like not, not that I don't think it's that actually, actually that simplistic, but like, I feel like that's, the reason that that argument doesn't work right you know that kind of makes sense it kind of to me i kind of analogize it to um you know you probably you've heard of like the tough mutter events yeah yeah yeah. so like the the people that go to that um and i've always wanted to try it myself you know um i i know i'm way out of shape right now but one day maybe um but like you see the pictures when you go to like the websites for these events and stuff and, and you you got these guys who are in their, you know, tanks with their muscles and, you know, it looks like they're, you know, weightlifters or, or yeah. big athletes. And it could be a little intimidating for if that's not what you are or not what you, you know, strive to be. So, you know, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but. No, absolutely. Yeah. It, it kind of like that. It's that type of a, 
you know, I feel like sometimes men, like we portray ourselves as um, like, that's the ideal. That's what everybody's striving for, which is just ridiculous. Right. Well, right. And, and, and also the, even if a guy has, my point is even a, if a guy has achieved that, it's not like he's going to look down on someone who hasn't. Cause I mean, if uh, I, and I haven't been to Tough Mudder either, but I would imagine that it's a, and from what I've heard from a lot of guys who've gone, it's, it's a very collegial right. uh, environment. Like it's not so, it's not ridic- ridiculously competitive because people are cool with it. They're, people are helping each other. You know, people don't, it's not like the big muscular guys want to like slam the skinny guys in their lockers, like right. um, those high school stories, right? It's not like that. We're going to give you a wedgie cool. if you don't complete it. You know? Exactly. <laughs> the atomic so I, wedgie. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think, you know, again, I got go back to that sort of baggage that guys put in, in their own heads. It's, it's just totally not true. And I think that the truth is if you break it down, like all guys, all people in general want to make connections and, and maybe you're not going to be best buddies with, with someone you approach um, cold. But I think that if you put yourself out there and go say hello to some dude, I think he's going to, even if you guys don't hit it off, I think he's going to respect that you had the cojones to put yourself out there. Right. What's the worst that's, what's the worst that's going to happen too? You know, it's well, kind of like, would, he would give you a wedgie and so well, no. that, that could be bad, but <laughs> But it's almost the same approach that you would have, uh, you know, approaching somebody you might have a romantic interest with or want to, you know, see if there's a possibility of having that kind of a relationship with. It's the same hesitancy, you know, and it's the same set of skills, right? It's that, you know, it kind of brings me back to the middle school dance scenario where the guys are on one side and the girls are on the other <laughs> side. Who's going to, yeah. who's going to talk to who first? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, you're absolutely right that it's like I said earlier, it's, it's um, approaching a woman is, it's almost like easier for us in some ways. Um, but the thing that, and if you read any good like d- dating uh, literature or blogs, you know, the thing they say all the time is that it's a numbers game. And I think that's also, an insight that I had uh, related to, you know, guys striking up friendship is that the other baggage they have is, is thinking that it has to be like, I walk over there and we're best buddies. It's like, no, that's not how it works with women either. It's not like you just walk over and get a girlfriend, right? You, you walk over and you strike out nine times. And then the 10th time, maybe she agrees to have a cocktail with you. And I think that's where guys are. um, It's so foreign to them that they're not comfortable with what I like to call the, the, the runway to friendship. And that's where guys need to get comfortable with. It's like, you're not going to be best buddies with every guy you talk to, but getting more comfortable with putting yourself out there and making new connections. I mean, you statistically increase the chance that maybe you will develop a a close friend. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Now I'm trying to figure out a way how to tie this all back into a divorce somehow. And I think I found it, but no, <laughs> this is no, I, I love our, I love this discussion because I think it's, you know, especially for the, uh, the women who are listening, I think it, it gives them a little insight into, you know, kind of the lives of men <laughs> yeah. and what goes on in our heads sometimes. But, you know, I think everything that we've been talking about is kind of the way we are hotwired as a, as a gender, uh, and, and a lot of it has to do with the product, the environment that we grew up in, right? We're a product of our environment and the way we're socialized 
through the media and everything else, uh, you know, what the way we think we should act as men uh, or, you know, what, you know, we should do that gentlemanly. But I think it's all intertwined with how we communicate with our spouses and in our interpersonal relationships. And so if, if those skills aren't there in the marriage, then that's going to contribute to the marriage breaking down and, you know, possibly leading to divorce. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and just to underscore that even further that I think friendships on both sides outside of the marriage are such a critical thing. I mean, I mentioned, um, you know, we were talking about why guys often struggle with in the marriage with communication, but it's, it's obviously important on both sides that if you don't have strong relationships outside of that, the marriage, and if you're not, uh, more importantly, if you're not just making time for yourself outside of the marriage, that's when things can really go south. Yeah, we, you got to be, yeah, that, that alone time, is that kind of what you're referring to? I think it's, I don't think it has to be alone time, but I think that's an element of it. I feel like it's time for yourself. So if it's, you know, going and doing a hobby with other people who are just acquaintances that you, you like the hobby, um, or is it meditating or is it going out for a run, just kind of putting the energy back into yourself so yeah. that, um, like I heard a great, great quote from, let's see, I think it was uh, a gentleman from the Good Dad uh, podcast. He said, you can't pour into somebody from an empty cup. And I feel like that's such an important point to remember in a marriage. It's, you know, if you're not occasionally filling yourself back up, um, maybe it's a, a weird metaphor, but if you're not occasionally filling yourself back up, how do you contribute? How do you actually give back to the, the relationship? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me, you know, because um, if you look at, you know, you and your spouse as a one unit together, um, it, if you, it's separated, it, the unit is made up of two, unit, two units. Um, I sound like a bad biology. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's the pistol and the stamen. <laughs> never did well in that biology no. class. <laughs> but, you know, like, right. So it, they feed off each other. And if, if one's empty and has nothing to contribute to the other, then it's going to suffer. Well, and also it's interesting, like, I mean, you bring up the, the it's separate units. I mean, I, um, we're breaking it down, but it, it <laughs> it's so important to remember that when you were first attracted to each other, you weren't attracted to the people that you were in a relationship. You were attracted to who you were individually. And I feel like that's something that I always remind myself of that, you know, with my wife, you know, she didn't like end up liking me because I was like a guy in a relationship. I, she ended up liking me because I was a guy who was doing my own thing and had my own personality and my own interests. So I think that it's funny. And this is a whole other side discussion that we could probably do a whole other podcast on, but so many people get into relationships and, and I'm sure you've covered this before in terms of it being a cause for divorce, but when people just lose themselves in the marriage, they, they end up transforming who they are um, to maybe serve the marriage or because they think that that's what marriage is about, which it's not. It's not about like, it's not about dissolving your own identity and, and becoming half of a whole, right? It's like you said, it's two different units and we have to make sure that we have integrity and, 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 and energy that we're continuing to like give back to each of those units separately so that, um, so the marriage itself can kind of stay healthy. 
Yeah, no. And as you go through life, you're supposed to, I guess the ideal is, you know, you grow together and you kind of, you just experience life through each other's lenses and, and, you know, together, hopefully you have 20-20 vision. <laughs> right. And, and also, I mean, a lot of times, hopefully you, you have kind of tested the waters enough to know that um, you're obviously not the same person. I mean, you're, you don't have identical, like maybe there's, there's areas of compatibility for you and it's enough that you can make things work, um, but you don't have to be identical in every respect. There's going to be areas where you disagree in life and there's going to be different defaults and different preferences for each of you. And as long as you can kind of like, um, you know, agree on those things that keep you compatible, I think that's what's important. Right. Or, you know, when you do have those disagreements and which are okay, like you shouldn't agree on everything. I, I, I don't want, I don't want to be married to my twin, you know, as much as I love myself. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, no, that's what makes, that's what, that's what creates the the relationship and the flavor. Um, and I think the key is when, when you do deal with the conflict, going back to why you're together though, you know, and those compatibility, uh, things that, you know, brought you together in the first place, you can't lose sight of that. Um, and because that's the glue to me, you know, and so you should always revisit that and, and remind each other, you know, well, this is why we got married in the first place. Right. Right. And, and kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, if, if you have that open lines of communication, if you have those open lines of communication, then I feel like you're able to kind of have that give and, give and take a little bit more easily. Because again, if you're going back to that unhealthy situation where you're keeping your needs bottled up, um, if you're constantly stewing on something you're upset about in the relationship, maybe you're less likely to sort of um, seed ground, as it were, on some other issue. They're like, no, the cereal box always has to be where I want to put the cereal box or whatever. You know, it's like, if you're having, if you're actually getting the, if you're having an open line of communication about what's really bothering you on a regular basis, then those those little differences aren't going to rub you the wrong way as much as they would. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with that a hundred percent. So we got a couple more minutes here. Um, I want to try to bring us back uh, as much as possible <laughs> to, to like people who are in this phase of their life, which is not the best, um, you know, they're going through a divorce, maybe the divorce is, is over now, and they're, you know, trying to get back on their feet. Um, what, what tips do you have? Or, or what do you suggest, you know, are some things that, you know, gentlemen can do uh, to, to kind of get back into the swing of things? How much more time do we have? Oh, go, go, I mean, go. <laughs> I, 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 well, yeah, I'll stay as long as you want. <laughs> I do want to bring up, I mean, my own personal story again. I, you know, I have not been divorced, but before I met my wife, I was in a very serious relationship. Um, and we ended up buying a house together in San Francisco, which if anyone who knows real estate in San Francisco knows, that's a very huge commitment. And we were intertwined in, in many other ways, you know, financially and obviously with our families and friends. And so while we were not officially married, um, that experience of getting out of that relationship, I think in many ways felt like a divorce to me. So I feel like there were some learnings that I had from that, that I think are relevant. Um, So 
when I, I got dumped, essentially, it was something, you know, I, we were in the situation where we were together and you're with someone who you think, um, you think you're probably going to spend the rest of your life with, obviously you wouldn't buy a house with them if you didn't think that, um, or at least hopefully not. And then all of a sudden, um, you're dumped. And so I remember for me, obviously there's the shock of it. And I think in many ways it's like, it go back, you go back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's, you know, from psychology 101 of, um, of assessing there's the, your needs from the basic physical survival level. And then they build up from there to more, you know, enrichment and so the higher level things. And so I think the first thing that happens is you're like, holy crap. Okay. I'm still alive. Like, that's good. You know, I can, I can survive. I can deal with this. Um, and for me, I think it was like after that realizing, okay, I'm going to survive this. I'm going to make the best of it. It's like, okay, I need to get out of this situation. You need to find a place to find a new apartment. So then there, that becomes that sort of like shelter aspect, you know, in the hierarchy of needs. Right. Um, and so I think it's building up from there. And so for me, like I actually have a lot of fond memories of like kind of rebuilding my life at that point. Um, and, and, and maybe for the folks listening out there who are going through this now, it may be helpful so, you know, you get out, you, you find your own place. And I found myself very quickly realizing the opportunity in the situation because um, obviously it was painful to, to get dumped and, you know, no, nobody likes that, that feeling. But anyone who's been dumped also knows that one of the positive aspects of being dumped versus doing the dumping is that you have no decision in the matter. So in some ways that actually frees you up in a lot of ways, right? right. That um, you're, you have the choice of like surviving or not. Right. So, and that's, that's where I found myself. And so like, well, I'm going to make the best of this. I'm going to turn this into a good thing. And so I very quickly realized that I had this, and I think you've used this phrase before this, this blank canvas, uh, for my life that all of a sudden, um, in many ways I had a second life that I didn't have. For one, I realized that I, had not been, I not dated much. Um, so I had been kind of a serial monogamist up until this point, um, had some serious relationships, but never really like played the field and really gotten out there and done dating. And so I very quickly realized, wow, this is like this whole second life of dating that I can have that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So, um, so again, um, yeah, so I've found my place. Uh, I, one of the other things that I went through too that I think a lot of folks will, will experience is when you get out and you create that new environment for yourself outside of the relationship or wherever you were living with that person, it's that opportunity again to like, you, I did a lot of nesting. It was like, um, that may not sound very manly, but it was like, I found a nice one bedroom apartment in San Francisco. I, it was very important to me to like cultivate uh, an environment for, for myself that I could feel comfortable in and felt like reflected me. Um, I wanted to be like, I wanted to have sort of elevated bachelorhood if that was a, yeah. a, a style at the time. I didn't want to be a guy who was like just slumming it, you know, wanted to have my own place. I wanted to like be the master of my own domain. So I did that. And that was, that was awesome. It's funny as part of that, the other thing I started doing um, is just really trying to invest in myself in general. So like, I mentioned nesting, but also I started doing more cooking at home. Like I started, uh, I had always been kind of interested in cooking, but I started really making it a ritual almost to like find these recipes and learn how to do um, 
different things cooking wise and feeding myself well. So it was like primping myself in some ways or, or sort of really caring for myself, which I feel like is an important thing to do. Um, and then the other thing that I did is I ended up, um, I mentioned, you know, just trying to like invest in myself, just trying to put myself out there more, not just on the dating front, which I mentioned, um, cause I did that, but also, um, just from a sheer social aspect, I would force myself to go out and meet people. And the nice thing about this is like, I had absolutely no intention to, um, try to create a, get in a new relationship. I like, I didn't feel like I was ready for that, but right. I was in, enjoying forcing myself to get out there socially. And it was, again, there was this like freedom that I was experiencing that I didn't have before being in a relationship and it was totally invigorating. And so I have like a lot of fond memories from that period of just forcing myself to go out to bars and meet new people. Or, um, you know, I took some classes at like a local sort of workshop, um, like a beer brewing class, just random stuff. Well, you know, I brew beer as a hobby. Do you really? I do. Yes. I see it's fun, you know, and you meet people doing stuff like that. So that's, I think a tip that is great is like obviously investing in yourself, but putting yourself out there in situations that you wouldn't have put yourself in before. And I think, and this is the same sort of thing, you know, when we talk about making friends in general is like going deep on your own interests. So like whether you're interested in beer brewing or whether you're interested in, um, you know, blacksmithing or something, just putting yourself out there and finding those little miniature tribes who are also interested in those things, I think can be tremendously therapeutic um, because, you know, you're getting the, um, you're focusing on something that you love. And what's cool about that too, is that you end up making some, some true friendships or meeting like-minded people because um, you've probably heard it before, but like when you do stuff that you love, you're more yourself, right? Yeah, sure. Like if you love, like you, you love beer brewing. So when you go to a beer brewing event or a class or whatever, like you're in your element, right? And you're, you're automatically with people who you have something in common with. Exactly. Exactly. And so there's always, there's already that little icebreaker yep. of, of things that you might have in common or things that, um, that you can argue about, which is fun too. It's like, well, I hate lagers. No, I love ales or whatever. <laughs> um, whatever it is. I hate this type of yeast, uh, you know? Um, so you sound I like did, a real beer geek right now. Exactly. So I did that. And, and also with music as well, cause I played music. Um, I ended up on Craigslist, uh, reaching out and, uh, to, an, to an ad and joining a band, um, I did that. Um, what do you play? Um, at the time, I played guitar and sang. So, and, oh, nice. and it's funny because the the gentleman who put the ad up ended up being, he's now like one of my best friends. Um, and it's so funny how, it, yeah, had I not like put myself out there at that time um, and really just like gone for it, I he and I wouldn't be friends. Um, and I then, were you a drummer? Really? Yeah, I was in high school. Oh my goodness. Well, that means you're still a drummer. I, I am, although I sold my, uh, speaking of Craigslist, I sold my drum set a long time ago on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's too bad. That's too I, bad. One, one day, one day. Again. One day. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I just think like, you know, investing in yourself, putting yourself back out there and, and appreciating the fact that you can kind of reinvest in your own passions is huge. And, and actually just, I mean, to put somewhat of a nice bow on what could be a longer story. Um, ultimately over the course of a year, this is ultimately what led me to meet my, my wife. Um, so I was putting myself out there. 
Um, I, you know, um, was being very social. Like I said, dating again, which was fun. Uh, no intention of like having any sort of serious relationship, just having a good time, meeting new people. And I, yet again on Craigslist, saw an ad that piqued my interest. It said it was an ad for Spanish language exchange. And I had taken, in high school, I had taken Spanish and I had done like a language intensive program after college. So I had some uh, interest in Spanish and I could speak a little bit. And this person, I didn't know if they were a man or woman. Um, I didn't know if they were old or young, but they were advertising that they were a Spanish person and they would like to learn better English and help uh, someone, you know, improve their Spanish. And so I was like, okay, this sounds really cool. And on some level it was funny because I was, I was proud of myself that I didn't know if they were a man or woman. I didn't know what their situation was. Yeah, All right. I knew is they were Spanish and I was like, well, this sounds cool. Like talk about a social risk. Like, let me just go do it, you know? Yeah. And, and then the back of my head, I was like, well, it'd be cool if it was a hot Spanish chick. Um, <laughs> of course, you know, well, that wouldn't hurt. And it ended up being a hot Spanish chick, actually. Not my wife. I was going to say, is that your not wife? My wife? Not my wife. But um, I, so I ended up meeting this person, hot, hot Spanish chick. Um, she, you know, we had a great friendship. And fortunately, even though she was very attractive, we had no chemistry. We were just friends. Like we were just, we had no, I didn't have any interest in dating her. She didn't have interest in dating me. And we ended up developing a nice friendship where we would meet every week and practice Spanish, practice English. Um, and over the course of, I think we knew each other for like a year and she kept mentioning her friend, Tiffany. And literally a year after I had first met her, uh, the Spanish woman, um, I ended up going to her birthday party and I ended up meeting this woman, Tiffany, and we were immediately connected. And, um, then we ended up getting married. So it's just so funny to think that again, you think about these times when you have, like you feel like your life has fallen apart. And if you can just have to sort of see it as a blank canvas, get out there and just focus on being yourself. Again, I wasn't focusing on trying to meet my wife. I wasn't trying to focus on being in a relationship. I was just focusing on like investing in myself and having a good time and ended up by just sheer chance or fate or whatever, meeting someone who I feel like is my soulmate. No, Kyle, I'm really glad you shared that story because I think it, I think it puts a perfect bow on not only our talk, but on other talks that I've had with other people and professionals, um, you know, therapists, dating coaches. It sounds like what you did after your relationship broke up and in a way it was a divorce because you had property and, and, you know, it just wasn't like, see a goodbye. So it was a traumatic time in your life that you, you put in the work uh, and you kind of got to know Kyle a little bit more, the new Kyle, you developed your own identity again and yeah. you didn't just rush out, get a rebound relationship and, and fall into the same pattern of maybe mistakes that you originally uh, made, you know, or as it turns out made, you know, as far as getting into that previous relationship, but yeah, you took your time and it's, I, I call it putting in the work and yeah. um, socializing and just enjoying life and, and the new life that you had and, and everything kind of else falls into place when you do that. And so, um, I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. And, and 
which is good because that's what I preach. And I think that's what you need to do after, you know, getting out of like a, a bad divorce or, or a bad relationship. Well, and it's funny. I, it, in many ways, it, it kind of goes back to everything we've talked about that um, I, I really did because uh, in many ways in retrospect, I wasn't with the right person in that last relationship. And fortunately she saw it and I wasn't myself. Uh, I wasn't the best version of myself. And you're right. I mean, the, I spent that time after that, that, that breakup really just being me and becoming more of who I was uh, and really investing in myself. And ultimately I'm in such a better place now because I just invested in me. Yeah, no, it's so important. And, and so for all the listeners out there, uh, if you're, you know, getting out of your divorce or to keep in mind when your divorce will end, because it will end at some point, you know, don't rush, uh, you know, take the time. Life, life is long. You got a long time, hopefully to live and, you know, do things right. Get to, you know, get to know your new life and look forward to it. And uh, the rest will, will fall into place. Amen. Amen to that. What a perfect, what a perfect ending. But (laughs) almost like we planned that. Um, Kyle, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, I think the best place so um, is to just go to my website, thedistilledman.com. Don't forget the the. So thedistilledman.com and uh, a lot of articles and hundreds of articles and videos and also a a regular podcast that I do uh, almost every week. So definitely come and say hello. That's great. And I'll link to all that in the show notes so uh, you can find it, all the information there. Um, Kyle, this was great. I hope to have you on again in the future. We can talk about so many more things. And uh, thank you for coming on. Yeah, and maybe you can do some drumming for us. (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, thanks a lot, Jason. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. Thank you, Kyle, again, for having an open, honest kind of guy conversation. And for all my lady listeners out there, I hope you got some insight into uh, some of the things we were talking about. And if nothing else, hopefully it was a little bit of an entertaining episode for you. Something a little out of the ordinary, but I thought it would be a good change from the other episodes I've been doing uh, on the show. And that's what I want to do. I want to kind of do a little variety. And again, if you guys have any suggestions on experts or people that you want me to have on the show, just email me, jason at jasonlavoy.com, and I will definitely look into it. If anybody is interested in private divorce coaching, please contact me. Uh, Look at my website. I have different programs available through uh, Divorce U. And my new program uh, is my How to Divorce a Narcissist Bootcamp, which if you're interested in doing it, Uh, on my private Facebook group, which anybody can join through my website. Just fill out the application form and I'll get on a call with you directly to talk and see if that program is right for you. But it's an excellent resource. I've created it this year to help everybody who is divorcing or thinking about getting divorced with a narcissist. That's it for now. Stay tuned. Subscribe to the show uh, so you get all the new episodes when they come out every other Tuesday. And listen to all the past episodes if you're new to the podcast. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon.